Hello, church. Welcome back to another online worship service. We're really excited because this weekend, for the first time since coronavirus hit, we will have a congregation in this church on Sunday morning. So we'll be online. We'll be in the room. It's a beautiful thing. Would you stand up wherever you are and uh, join us in worship? Let's praise the Lord now. Jesus, the carried our shame, this Jesus, who rose from the grave, the same Jesus, we worship today, we worship today, and came to us, with grace and in truth, still with us, and still on the moon, the same Jesus, he is making us new, He is making us new. Jesus. 
Glad to be with you again, ABF family. We're coming live right here. It is a wonderful day for you to be watching this video. And if you're in our online church experience, 
I'm wondering if you've seen it tonight, whether you've seen it Sunday night, whether this is Thursday when you're watching it. Maybe it's Sunday right at nine o'clock when many of us are gathering together. We're so glad that you're here with us. I wanna remind you that we're gonna continue to have our online worship experience as well as on campus that began this week. Now, a couple of things. Our Zoom meetings will continue, and you'll be able to access those. You can see all the different groups that are on the screen. But one we wanna remind you about is our Marriage Essentials, Sunday night, June 14th, 8 p.m. You'll want to join us. You'll get that link in the email, and you should be able to join us on Sunday night. Then, some of you are saying, how do I do this registering for services? You'll get an email each week where there'll be a link, and you can then click that link for whether you want to go to the 9 o'clock or 1045 services. And like this week, uh, those services were sold out. Now, the other thing is, if you are wondering, are we going to come back on campus for other activities? Yes, yes, and yes. So junior high, high school, men and women are all going to come back on campus. High school meets on Wednesday nights, junior high on Thursday nights. They're going to go live this week. They'll be letting you know about the activities they'll be involved in. Then in the following weeks, both men's ministry and women's ministry will be coming live to you. The women's gathering is going to be called Courtyard Gatherings, and they'll be on Monday night, June 22nd. That'll be the first one, and they'll be once a month. Men's Bible study will resume on Tuesday morning, June 23rd, and that'll be a combination of live uh, in the well as well as a Zoom combo experience. It's going to be a lot of fun. Then I want to thank you so much for your giving you know that when you give to our general offering, 10% of that goes to global missions as well as local outreach. We've been doing a lot in the local area, but you may not be aware of how your money has been used all over the world. One of the ministries we support is an orphanage uh, in Uganda. And that orphanage, we sent $1,000 to them to help feed 140 orphans, and you're going to love this video that is sent in love from what your ministry dollars did to help in that orphanage. Hello, Agura Bible Fellowship Church. Thank you for your love and for your support as Noah's Ark family. Thank you. Hello, our friends and family at Agura Bible Fellowship Church. This is Noah's Ark family, and we want to thank you so much allowing us and welcoming us in your homes and in your church in Feb when we came in the United States of America. We want to thank you so much for loving us and for following up with such a great surprise of a thousand dollars towards our food budget, which is a real big problem. But you have come in and, and followed up and you have uh, helped us uh, buy some food to sustain us this month. May God bless you. Thank you so much for praying for us and just let you know that we are praying for you in this situation of COVID-19 and we pray that God will sustain you spiritually, physically, and that we'll see you once again. May God bless you. Thank you. Thank you very much for that good, good food. We like it very much. My God bless you. Bless you very much. What a privilege to partner with our Uganda missionaries. Well, hey, students, 
aren't you glad school is over? No more Zoom classes! Well, congratulations. We are excited for this upcoming summer, and let's plan to get together for our summer fun days. Our first time that we're gonna gather is on June 27th down at Zuma Beach, so you don't wanna miss that. Mark your calendars. Well, hey kids, I have a video assignment for you. Father's Day is next week, and I need you to send me a video of you telling me your best dad joke or your top five things that you love about your dad. Make sure you make a video horizontal, send it to me so we can put a Father's Day tribute together. Well, um, we've been doing these food raffle videos, and I just want to apologize ahead of time for what you're about to see. Check out this. Hey, Josh, Chris, I set the wheel up for you. Josh, I think they're gone. Let's hijack it. Let's do the food raffle. Well, first we gotta know who are we gonna deliver to this week? That's true, you should pick a, pick a name. Pick a name. All right, come on over okay. here. We got the jar. All right. All right, let's see who it's gonna be this week. Make it and, good. All right, blow on it. Wait, can we do that? Well, Josh, I mean, Josh already did it. Okay, try it. Okay. And the family is. some very uh, high-pitched excitement there. We're looking forward to having Josh and Chris uh, back next week. No offense, uh, dear. Uh, something you may not know about yourself as it relates to our topic uh, here today. You were designed to worship. It's part of the fabric of your DNA. I was talking to a pastor friend a number of years back, and he was telling me about an experience where he was at an Alanis Morissette con concert. I don't know if you remember uh, her back in the day. And as he was looking around the, the masses of people there, and he was seeing people that had hands raised, he was seeing people with tears in their eyes, people shouting at the top of their lungs, isn't that ironic? And as he's watching all of this play itself out, he came to that exact same conclusion. We're all worshipers. We're all worshipers. There, it's hard to say what people are worshiping. Maybe the idea of love, maybe the uh, excitement that's around music itself. Maybe it was Alana, Alanis Morissette herself that she maybe uh, connected with them on an emotional level or kind of spoke their language, if you will. Either way, this is the reality of how, how God has designed us. Every single one of us knowingly or unknowingly, has been designed to worship. And not just in song. 
not just in song, the object of our affection, the primary focus of our thoughts, the pursuit of our day, all demonstrates what we worship. And here's the thing. In God's infinite wisdom, he made the decision in designing us to give us free will, to choose the object of our worship. And here's the thing though. Just because he's given us free will to choose the object of our worship doesn't mean that he's not involved in the situation. You see, he loves us too much to sit back and watch us with misdirected worship. He chooses to intervene to make sure we're not chasing things that will never satisfy. When you're a kid, maybe you remember playing this game. I think they called it the hot and cold game where you're trying to find something and as you got closer to it, the person would be like, okay, getting warmer, getting warmer. If you went the wrong direction, they'd say, all right, getting colder, getting colder. I think that's the picture that I have of how God operates with his creation, with mankind. As we get closer and closer to him, he he wants to fan that flame. He wants to encourage that. As we get further and further away, you sense the chill in the air. But with him, it's not that calm. I would suggest that it's a little bit more intense because there's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake based on the choice in what we worship. Now, some people can look at God's involvement in pursuing us and think, man, he's, he's just meddling with my, with my life, with my freedom. Or you can see it as a divine act of love where God in his kindness is saying, I wanna protect you from spending your life chasing something that doesn't satisfy. I see the story of Exodus in the account of them leaving Egypt as a massive war on misdirected worship. You'll see that it took a lot to redirect the object of the worship. And why is that? Why was so much drama needed? The reason is, is because we don't naturally worship God. We naturally worship things of the creation, things that we can see with our our experience with our senses, the the things that are uh, visible. Those are the things we tend to worship on our own. It takes a jolt to our system in order to redirect our worship appropriately. You might remember that from last week, that as we were beginning the story, that they were known for worshiping creation rather than the creator. This is how God, this is when God decides to get involved. And we're gonna see the intensity go up about nine levels here this week. Let me pray before we dive into this week's text. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity, this time to spend in your word. And I love that the Old Testament and New Testament speak to our current circumstances now. We ask that you would be alive and active in the study of your word, even in these moments, God, that you'd speak to us directly, that you'd nudge where we need nudge and encourage where we need encourage. We invite that in Jesus Christ's name, amen. So last week, you might remember that God heard the cries of his people. They were under the, the, uh, the heavy hand of Pharaoh and basically living as slaves in Egypt. He comes to Moses, you right, might remember, in a pretty dramatic fashion. Our, our God always does things in style. So he shows up in a burning bush and gives him direction to be a part of his rescue plan for the Israelites. He gave a, a mission, if you will, 
And he demonstrates in the conversation where we're going to pick up today, chapter 3, verse 19, that he's reigning on the throne completely. All of this is part of his plan. Verse 19 says, But I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. I love this part. You're seeing a a little bit of our our God saying, uh, he knows in advance exactly what's going to transpire. There's no surprises in the throne room. This contradicts this false notion that we have that things are out of control. You might currently in our world circumstances be tempted to go through your Facebook feed or turn on the news and look at all the chaos and be like, wow, things are just spiraling out of control. This tells us just the opposite. Our God is at work. He's got a plan. He's not, he hasn't lost any control whatsoever. Not only does he know what will happen, he also influences the outcome of what is going to happen. Take a look in verse 21 of chapter 4. We're jumping ahead a bit in this dialogue. When he's talking about Pharaoh, he explains. He says, I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. This is the part that a lot of folks have trouble with. It's a a, a question. What do you mean he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart? This might be news to some people. God uses people to fulfill his plans. As a Christ follower, you think about that, you see that every day, how we can be his hands and feet of influence. We saw last week that God softened Pharaoh's daughter's heart to rescue Moses from being murdered. Now we see just the opposite. He hardens Pharaoh's heart to accomplish his plan. Understand that God's not hardening the heart of someone who otherwise would have embraced him as Lord. He's actually working through a hardened rebel, somebody that's already rejected the authority of God. We must hold two truths in in, in the tension, if you think about it. God's sovereign over all. In other words, he's controlling and reigning and moving things. But people are also responsible for their sin. And the truth is, this is another piece to understand. God's not obligated to save anyone. Everyone's rescued. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's in his mercy that he chooses to save and rescue anyone. And those who are rescued should be eternally grateful. Paul explains how all of this works in Romans 9, verse 17. It says, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose... I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. We start to see even in that description, the purpose behind this, the purpose of his involvement, it says that his name might be proclaimed in all the earth. In our passage back in Exodus, and I know I end up jumping around a little bit in this passage, but I can't go verse by verse with so many chapters. But let me just point to another one that explains his purpose in moving the Pharaoh to do exactly what he does. In chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, 
Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart, you see that again, and the heart of his servants, and I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Do you see the purpose statement there? That you would know that I am the Lord. He has a, a purpose in all of this. He wants both the Egyptians and Israelites to realize that. And not just one generation, I love it there, that your son and your grandsons would know and hear of God reigning all over all. And truth is, this is not an ego move. It's an act of love to make sure worship is appropriately directed. My kids have been doing this online school over at Hillcrest during the spring, like many of your children. And kind of the, the way that they've had it set up is one day they'll have a, a number of uh, classes, Zoom classes that they have to sit through. And then another day, they'll just have a, a bunch of work that they have to get accomplished. I remember coming home one day and my daughter, Sienna, was super frustrated because she had spent the majority of her day doing the wrong assignment. She had spent literally hours doing something that wasn't required of her. Such frustration. I was thinking about that, extrapolate that out for a lifetime. If you found out at the end of all of your days that you were chasing the wrong things, how frustrating that would be. Wouldn't it be an act of love for God to wanna intervene and say, hey, listen, you're going the wrong direction. You're, you're, you're doing the, the wrong assignment. And that's exactly what God does here. His purpose is with our best interest in mind. As we continue in the story, it, it unfolds exactly how God says it's going to. As we continue in the, in the story, it plays out exactly like God said. Even with impressive signs of power, Pharaoh refuses to let the Israelites go. Instead, he does the exact opposite. He actually increases their workload. That's when God ups the temperature, if you will, a bit. This is when the 10 plagues begin. It says that the, 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 the 10 plagues, if you think about it, they were done with, with extreme intentionality, each one of them confronting false gods and showing God's superior, superiority as the true God. He begins to take out source of their source of self-sufficiency. Take a look in Exodus 7, verse 20. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile. And all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died and the Nile stank so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, upon review of these different plagues, you start to realize that some confront literal idols that they worshiped and others confronted idols of the heart. As we see here, the first plug damages their water source. The Nile was what made Egypt a valuable land. Otherwise, it would have been a, a, a deserted wasteland, if you will. The people found their security in the Nile. It was the provision of, of life, sustenance. And it's interesting, it gave the idea or illusion of self-sufficiency. 
You think about that. In our arrogance, so often we have this idea that we can do our own thing. We don't necessarily need God. We have things in place. We have things in order. We have the securities of this life, of a, of a job, of a family, of a network of relationships. All of these things lull us into complacency, thinking that we've got it covered. And that's the first thing that God chooses to attack. You find this to be true in our own life, still present day. If God wants to get your attention, a lot of times what he does is he peels back the things that we find our, that we find our, our confidence in, that we find our security in. Think about these last couple of months, how many things have been stripped away that we typically find our confidence in. I don't know what your Nile is that's turned to blood in this season. Maybe it's our strong economy that you had confidence in. Maybe it's the justice system that maybe you had confidence in. Maybe it's the trust of experts that you used to have confidence in. All of these things have been pulled back and exposed the, the sin nature and the fallen state of people in leadership. Still today, that's how our God operates. He exposes what can't be trusted. So here he does that with the Nile. He says, you think you can count on this? You think that's gonna give you security? I'll turn that into blood. And despite that, the Pharaoh, as we were told he would, digs in his heels. So false gods, you think about it, have to be exposed. They have to be brought to the service. So God continues his work. Exodus chapter eight, verse six, as the story progresses, I wish I had time to go through each one of these verse by verse, tells the next plague that's introduced. It says, so Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. So this next plague, number two, is specifically confronting a false god or goddess of their time by the name of Heket. She had a, a frog's head and represented, you can see it here in this picture, fertility and fruit, fruitfulness. Basically, the goddess represented life itself. So this was a, a bit of comedy, I think, of our own God to say, you know what? If you celebrate that as your source of life, this, this frog-headed woman or goddess, you celebrate that, you want some frogs, I'll give you plenty of frogs. He covers the land with frogs everywhere you can see. You imagine how disgusting that must have been. And here's the tricky part. Since the people were revered frogs so highly, they, they wouldn't have been killing them. They would have had to just deal with them in all of the nooks and crannies of their, their house, kind of like a, a cow, present-day India. They wouldn't even think about hurting them. But when, when Pharaoh finally calls out and asks for some reprieve from this, God in his kindness decides to answer his prayer. And you see how God responds in verse 14. He ends up taking and killing all of the frogs. And it says, and they gathered them together and heaps and the land stunk. That's the second time in two Two, uh, two plagues that he's talking about the land stinking. You imagine the, the fumes of that dead frog's 
everywhere. How disgusting. You would have felt like that was a betrayal. You're calling out to your goddess to rescue you, but instead you're surrounded with the stench of death. What they thought was life became death and stunk up the entire land. You think about that in our present day, how many things that we have, because sometimes you read this and you're like, this is just silly old stories, but how many things present day do we have that promise life, but the more you get into it, you realize, man, they bring nothing but death. They bring nothing but disappointment that all the false promises in the world around us. And I'm not just talking about the, the big three. I'm not talking about sex, drugs, and rock and roll, all of those promised things that they don't deliver. I'm talking about some of the things that sneak in and are a little bit more subtle that you think that, man, if I go this route, it's gonna satisfy. This is gonna feel so good if I do it. How about in marriage when being right in an argument at any expense, no matter how much it damages your spouse? How about trying to control your kids as you're parenting by powering up in rage? Sounds like a good idea in your head, but leads to, to damage trying to control a situation with a friend by, by, by uh, lashing out. You think about so many things that are damaged that seem like such a good idea in the moment. How about this one? Maybe this hits a little too close to, to home. Voicing your opinion on Facebook, regardless of the relational fallout that you know is going to come on the other side of it. That seems like a good idea. It leads to death holding someone hostage with a grudge from a past offense. Maybe it's, how, how, how about not just grudge? How about talking about it with others? In church worlds, we love to use the uh, terms, you know what, I just wanna share some concerns with you I have. I just need to vent all of these things that might seem like they're life-giving. It would feel so good to do to lash out and instead it leads to death. Subtle things promise satisfaction, but do exactly the opposite. We'll continue in the story. After the frogs are taken away, Pharaoh, verse 14, chapter eight, responds. It says, when Pharaoh saw that there was respite or a break from this, he hardened his heart and would not listen to him. So the plagues continue in chapter eight. God responds, if he's gonna dig in his heels, God's gonna do more to demonstrate his power. Remember the purpose behind that was that the whole world would recognize that he is Lord. This time it's with gnats, it's with gnats. Uh, to me, again, any kind of small bug is just disgusting to me as if frogs weren't bad enough. But you think about what's happening here in this instance, in chapter eight, he throws dust into the air and that dust becomes swarms of gnats. You think about that, the, at first you're like, how is this, this one different from any of the other plagues? This one is actually a Genesis one moment where he's turning the, the dust of the world. The, the others may have been him moving frogs into the area. Here he's creating something from nothing. Dust turned into life, not just directing the existing, but creating something from scratch 
The magicians, we're told in verse 19, recognize this. They've been able to duplicate some of the stuff and their, their evil uh, powers prior to this, but now their conclusion in verse 19, this is the finger of God. Remember, God's plan in all of this was that they would recognize and know that I'm the Lord. Well, it's actually starting to happen even with the magicians. It's happening exactly like he had planned. After the gnats, then comes the flies. Living uh, or working next to a a farm or basically, I don't even know what we'd call our neighbor's setup here. It's a lot of uh, really cool animals, but there's a tendency with that to bring quite a few flies into the area. We we get a a little snippet of it. What degree of flies would you have to have for them to come to this conclusion? Verse 24, the land was ruined by swarms of flies. Think about this, maybe another slap in the the face of existing gods. They had the god you may have heard of before, Beelzebub, or uh, Beelzebub, which means Lord of the Flies. Kind of an irony there that he's supposed to be Lord over the flies, but God's like, you know what? I'm going to bring enough that are going to literally destroy the land. Again, Pharaoh digs in his heels. He digs in and resists. Obviously, God had to respond, then taking the livestock, horses, donkeys, camels, herds, flocks, but none of the Israelites' animals died. This is our God, if you think about it, announcing to all of the known world that he is reigning over all. It demonstrates his authority over all creation and even the ability to create something new from nothing showing his people and the Egyptians that he's the one true God. Here's the important thing to understand in this, in this demonstration of power. God's gonna be glorified in both aspects of this story, both in the aspects of his his justice and also in his mercy. You see, the the Pharaoh and the people knew this was an act of of justice because of the way that they had treated the Israelites. They they fully understood that. That's why often Pharaoh in this will admit that he has sinned and he has done wrong. But now he's seen the justice, but then he also gets a glimpse of God's mercy because every time he cries out for, for some kind of reprieve, Moses responds, God responds, there gets to be a a reprieve before the next. All of this demonstrating who God is, what his character looks like, all glorifying God, both his justice and his mercy. I was thinking about that this week in response to this as we're close to wrapping up here. I was thinking about, man, if I had to choose which I'd rather give God glory through, through his justice or through his mercy, wouldn't you always want to choose the mercy route? How do you get to the mercy route? The mercy route, the route only comes by bending a knee and submitting to his leadership in our life, embracing what Jesus Christ did on the cross. The other option is to follow Pharaoh's leadership. Say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dig in my heels and I'm gonna have a hard heart and I'm gonna demonstrate his glory through his justice. We have a choice in this. Remember at the beginning, I said we decide what we're going to worship with our free will. Will it come through justice 
or will it come through mercy? We have a choice in that decision. Well, next week, we'll look at the remaining plagues and they continue to intensify all the way to the 10th, which is a foreshadow of the coming Passover lamb that will be sacrificed. And so looking forward to that time next week. But my hope is that going into the week ahead, that we'd consider what are some ways that I can, that I can amplify my worship? What are some ways that I can take my eyes off the current and put my eyes on the one that's in control, the one that intervenes, the one that holds the heart of kings in his hand. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this picture and this amazing view that you give of your majesty, that sons and grandsons would be talking about it, and we're still talking about it literally thousands of years later, this demonstration of your power, I pray that that demonstration of your power would give us confidence in our current circumstances. That the fear that maybe wants to sneak in would be replaced with a reminder of who is on the throne. God, that you would redirect our worship, that you would get our eyes off the things of the present and on the eternal. We thank you for your patience, for your grace, I thank you for the reality that when we do call out to you, you want to bring mercy. We praise you for that here in Jesus Christ's name, amen.
Well, thank you, worship team. As they mentioned, there's no other name by which we're saved, by which we're rescued. Definitely a hot uh, day here. You may have seen me sweating a little bit. Uh, the, the, on This is Thursday. Hopefully Sunday's a little bit cooler, but God bless you. Thanks for being a part of this online. Just a reminder, if you are interested in starting to come back to services, we do have a registration option on our website or in the email that I send out. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.